Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Shabbat Shalom, and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, including all of the brethren online. We greet you, Shabbat Shalom, praise Yahuwah. So, so far we've gone and traveled quite a bit of history. I'll give you a little bit of a recap yesterday. We, we kind of left off on the binding and the loosing. And really what that was about was um, establishing our kingdom of heaven status, right? The authority, the keys, access. We have a kingdom of heaven status here on earth. I like that, kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's kind of crusader language, you know? That's exactly what the crusaders were going to Jerusalem for back in the medieval time, was to do what? Establish the kingdom of heaven. Whereas, whereas the kingdom of Elohim or the kingdom of God is already in heaven. That's the throne room. And we're to bring the kingdom of heaven down on earth, which is a change of status. Our citizenship is where? And citizenship is a key <clears throat> into your freedom or your slavery <coughs> status. We just had lunch. <laughs> Chips and dip. <coughs> well, I just had lunch anyway. So, as is um, a resident, right? A resident is another slave term. Where do you reside? I reside in my body. Where do you live? I live in my body. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Anything else is but a fiction. And that is the slave status, is a fictional, colorable status. And we are looking for a kingdom of heaven status. We are living. I like to use the proper description. We are sentient, moral beings. We are not... Another fictional word is an ens legis, E-N-S-L-E-G-I-S. -E it means a fictional entity, a creature of the state, created by the state. And if you're created by the state, then you are subject to the state. Had a sister meet me back in the kitchen and just said, for clarification, this is my Hebrew name, but this is my government name. And I like that. I'm like, exactly. For clarification, this is my government name. Let's get rid of the government name, okay? And let's get to our true self. We are citizens of heaven, and we are to bring down the kingdom of heaven and bind and loose with authority here on earth. So that's what we touched off on yesterday, light subject matter. Today, light subject matter. We're going to get into a little bit of pottage, little bit of colorable pottage. We're going to get into some unicorn business. We're going to get into some funny lion business. 
We're going to get into a little bit of the young lions, the Commonwealth countries, and then we'll conclude with a nice, easy subject matter of the mark of the beast. So, not really too much to cover. So, without further ado, let's go. So, we were looking at the ancient roots of Babylonian and Roman law, which got incorporated into Lex Mercatoria or the statute law merchant. All of the statutes, regulations, everything that they try to subject you to during COVID, that was all statutory law merchant in origin. So if we can understand that, then we can start to untangle ourselves from this fiction. And it is a matrix because it's not real. But you've been so programmed, myself included, and they want to compel you to live in that matrix and to operate inside of it. The origins of the law merchant can be traced back, of course, to it's always Babylon, baby, back to Babylon, where trade and commerce required rules and regulations. The Roman Empire contributed to its development through the concepts of the Uis Gentium, which was a set of laws for foreigners and merchants. Now, if you think about it, when the great British Empire were what? The great mariners. And what would happen is ships would go from port to port, and they sometimes would only dock for a very limited time. And sometimes there would be issues between the cargo and the seamen and those on the land. And those disputes had to be resolved extremely swiftly because if they were not resolved swiftly, then all of the produce, maybe the bananas, would spoil. All of the fruit would spoil. If it had to go to a court of law on the land, then by the time it got adjudicated, it would have been too late. Or maybe the ship had to disembark and go to its next port of destination. So they had to come up with a whole complexity of laws that would enable a form, a form of justice to be dispensed of swiftly. No jury, no trial, Swift justice, alleged justice. This is the foundation of the system of which you and I are in. Because we are on the seas of what? Commerce. Everything's commercial and it is moving fast. So it's about getting things moving fast and getting the compensation quickly and getting your pound of flesh. Does that make sense? In medieval Europe during the Middle Ages, European trade expanded significantly, leading excuse me, to the emergence of the merchant guilds and associations. 
Now, these merchants, they needed rules that transcended national boundaries. And the law merchant evolved to meet their needs. Okay? That's what I just explained. So the law merchant operated outside traditional legal systems and was based upon customs and practices and precedents developed by the merchant community itself. What does the book of Revelation tell us about Mystery Babylon? She is a merchant trading and trafficking on the seas of commerce. She's international admiralty and maritime in nature. Does that make sense? Now, let's talk about this thing called the medieval courts of five powders. Five powders. And these were specialized, specialized courts known as courts of five powders and were established at fairs and markets in little towns and market communities throughout England. And they were established to handle disputes arising from commercial transactions because these fairs would appear overnight in a town and then they would pack up the next day and they would move to the next town. So if there was a commercial um, dispute, it had to be resolved, like on sea, extremely swiftly. They didn't have time to go up to the, the city and wait for a proper common law court and all of the rules and regulations. They needed swift justice because these were commercial fairs that followed the river routes and the canal routes throughout England. So they established these pipe powder courts to dispute swift justice at that very time. These courts applied the law merchant, emphasizing fairness and expediency. It was all about expediency. So let's talk about how this then has been incorporated into the modern law. The principles of the law merchant gradually made their way into modern legal systems. Yahushua warned us in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, when he proclaimed what? Woe to you lawyers. And here is where you are conned or compelled to give up your kingdom of heaven status and become a subject of slavery. You are compelled to give up your kingdom of heaven status, all of your protections, all of the rights that don't come from government. They come from who? Does the Constitution of the United States of America grant you rights? Does it? Question. Does the Constitution of the United States of America grant you rights? How can it? Who grants you the rights? Yahweh. What is the Constitution supposed to do? Protect those rights. It's supposed to be a restraint. That's all. It's no longer in effect because why? The law merchant has taken effect and overrules in our legal system. 
Note I said legal system, not lawful system. There's a difference. So Yahushua said, woe to you lawyers. There's a premise that the lawyers referred to in this passage have modern counterparts, listen, in today's legal profession, particularly those operating under the Bar Association. Can anyone tell me what the bar stands for? What was that? British Admiralty Rule. British Admiralty Rule because we're dealing with what? Fiction. We're dealing with a swift expediency of commercial transactions in an international Admiralty maritime trading and trafficking of your encaptured slave soul. You are no longer a kingdom of heaven. You are no longer a citizen of heaven. You are a resident. You are a person. You are an ends legis. You are a slave and you volunteered for it. Therefore, your remedy is extremely limited. And that is the majority of how people are captured and plundered and plundered, plundered. By overseeing a bar lawyer represents a sentient moral being, that sentient moral being is no longer a sentient moral being. They become a what? a creature of the state or an ends legis. The moment that somebody takes one, then you are nothing but a fiction of law and ends legis. You have to be able to be a king. And as a king, you must be asking. Asking. That's all we do is we ask questions for conscience sake. Isn't that what Paul told the Corinthians? Ask questions for conscience sake. You cannot proceed. I, I'm sorry, I cannot proceed. I must ask some questions for conscience sake. Because anything you actually say or do may be used against you in a court. No, it will be use as a millstone to be tied around your neck and to sink you to the bottom of the Babylonian mystery religions ocean of which the whore and the beast are in charge of revelation. So there is this concept where a sentient moral being, a kingdom of heaven child of Yah, a citizen of heaven child of Yah, trades that very beneficiary of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and becomes instead an ends legis, a creature of the state, by hiring one of these entities, a British Admiralty Rule representative, to represent you. Because now you are dead, and then you must all rise to be represented. 
it's truly a cult, is it not? Do you see what I'm saying here? And it's right before you. And some of you are like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, but it can apply to you within a fraction of a second on the turn of a dime. And then you'll want help. And it will be too late because you won't be able to navigate. Things are happening and changing so fast. They're changing so fast for families. They're changing so fast for children. And they're changing so fast for this up and coming generation. If we do not equip our children how to move and, 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 and interact in a commercial realm as a kingdom of priests, then they will be slave status in this next season. For sure and for certain because it is moving so fastly that way. You have to be able to pull out and restructure your whole families, especially the young children, so that they can interface with commerce, play the game of the monopoly, instead of being the ones that go to jail, they have the get out of jail free card and they do not play with the funny money, they exchange the funny money in for real hard assets. And they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then there will be no middle class. There will be a slave class. That's what they're moving for. And it's so fast. You can see it. You can see it happening. But it all goes back here. And we have the remedy within the scripture. That's the good news. That's the good news. So there's a distinction between a sentient moral being, kingdom of heaven, citizen of heaven, and an ens legis, somebody who gets a, an attorney to represent them. They become an ends legis, a creature of the state. They are a slave status and they have a limited remedy. Okay? If they win, they really lose. Does that make sense? Simultaneously, the individual being represented relinquishes his birthright to the lawyer and is left with the status of an ends legis. Because Yahushua said, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Didn't I just say that if we can stand as kings and ask the questions, asking, we can protect our queen and our family. And we will be able to move anywhere on the board, because it's a monopoly board invented in 1933, several months after the bankruptcy, right? There is no money. There is no money. There is no money. It's all colorable. And they're all the same colors as the Monopoly game. Because Monopoly has given you notice to the game that we're playing. But you didn't read the instructions, did you? You just started playing the game. How many of you have read the instructions to Monopoly? I mean, like really studied the instructions to Monopoly? Or did you just start playing the game? How many of you gave your employers the W-4 and you didn't really understand the game that you were just about to start playing? How many of you filed the 1040 and you really didn't understand the game that you're playing? You just started playing the game. And then you'll wonder why you don't get the get out of jail free card. In fact, you get the opposite because you started playing the game of commerce and you didn't read the instructions. It's a game. And you know what the wonderful thing about the game is? If you learn the rules of the game, you'll love the game. It's a pretty cool game. But if you don't learn the rules of the game, 
you won't like it. It's a thrilling game. And once you learn the rules, you're like, oh, I get it. It's all colorable. It's smoke and mirror. I just have to stay in my kingdom of heaven status, which is why Yahushua said, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither you suffer them that are entering to go in. How many of you have never read that verse before? Oh, stop it. Yes, you have. <laughs> We've all read that verse hundreds of times. But let's slow it down and really think about it in the context of you are one of two things. You have either your birthright from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are a sentient moral being. You are of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, and you are a citizen of heaven. You can trade that in for some pottage, give up your birthright, become an ends legis, a fiction and creature of the law. You can be represented by somebody operating under British Admiralty rule, and you will lose your inheritance and become a traded and trafficked soul in the, in the seas of mystery Babylon. You'll be playing the game of commerce and you won't know the rules. You just picked up the game of Monopoly because you thought you turned 18 and you need to go get a job. Why aren't we taught at school to open our own, to be entrepreneurs? It doesn't the Bible say if you want to build a house, you build a house. If you want to plant a vineyard, you plant a vineyard, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We need to be the creators and to go out there and create. For you shut up, he's talking about the lawyers, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. So British Admiralty rule, or is it British accreditation registry? There's a differing of, of opinion there. But what it represents is a qualification that lawyers must obtain to a practice the law. The actions of lawyers within this system align perfectly with the scriptural criticism, wouldn't you say? Because like I said, an ends legis this is a legal term referring to an entity created by law, often a legal fiction rather than a living man. It symbolizes a departure from one's original birthright status. Matthew 23, 13's condemnation of lawyers then is extremely relevant in the modern legal profession. Because all those operating under the Bar Association, you see the transformation of lawyers into legal fictions themselves. By them becoming a lawyer, they actually become an ends legis. 
You can't be a lawyer and be a sentient moral being, right? You become an ens legis by being a lawyer in and to itself. So can an ens legis enter into the kingdom of heaven? And can somebody who hires an ens legis go into the kingdom of heaven? So they're barred themselves and they bar those also from getting in. Does that fulfill the scriptural requirement right there in Matthew 23, verse 13? Yes, it, it clearly does. They are barred themselves from entering into the kingdom of heaven and they do not have the keys. They are not able to be loosed to go into the kingdom of heaven and they are not loosed to bring others in either. They are bound, bound, bound. And if you go under them, you are also bound back. You'll end up in irons. All that will happen is you'll get to a plea deal, but you'll still be end up in irons. Because that's the worst thing you can ever do. Plea is bargain. You don't bargain for something that is already yours. Doesn't care what the threat is, because that's the whole game. Well, you know what? We're going to give you 100 years and a billion dollar fine. But if you plea out, we'll give you a five, you'll be out in three, and we'll just give you... Right? And so they plea out. It's fear factor, men. It's all a fiction. It's all within the fiction of law. Fear. What's the acronym for fear? Anybody? False evidence appearing real. False evidence. Oh, you're going to get 100 years and a billion dollar fine. Thank you very much. Would you be able to put that in writing, please? Make sure you put your signature on it. And I'll review it and honor it immediately. I don't care. Do you care? But if you believe in the false evidence appearing real, then you will care. But you already lost your citizenship of kingdom heaven to be able to fall for such a ruse. You were moved off of your square a long time ago. And you obviously never play chess because this is a game of chess and it's a game of monopoly. Stand on your square with your family. Do not let anyone move you off of your square with your children. I'm serious. Do not let anybody move you off of your square no matter what the threat is, stand. And if you're still able to stand, then you shall stand. Matthew 23, verse 13's condemnation of lawyers is relevant. It draws a parallel today of the legal fictions, the ends legis, and the impact on those they represent are key points to the slave status drawing parallels with the scripture's message regarding the loss of kingdom of heaven status here on earth. Now, incorporating the analogy from Genesis, you can turn there, Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 25, verse 29, into this, we can see how the legal system, my wife is loving this teaching. She is so excited. Is she here? She's not. See, see, I told you, she left. She hates it when I start teaching on this stuff because she trusts me 
And so she knows that she doesn't have to worry about it. But she doesn't like it. Because she's like, oh, Matthew didn't come home again. Don't know where he is. What's he up to this time? Where is he? Now what has he got himself into? Oh, honey, guess what I learned today? It was amazing. <laughs> Genesis 25, verse 29, we can see how the legal system, particularly when represented, can we say represented? No, let's not say rep represented by lawyers under the Bar Association, it's directly linked to the scriptural concept of trading one's birthright for a metaphorical bowl of blooming pottage of legal complexities and fear, false evidence appearing real. The legal profession with its complex legalities and fear-inducing tactics leads to, you need to settle. You should settle. Oh, it's going to be $7 billion. You should settle. Oh, I'm so terrified. Maybe I should. Right? Somebody's going to sign something, and they're going to put it right in front of you. And there's your remedy. It's called an accommodation party. You can look that up if you want. See, fear, fear. Do we live in a world of, that's all the matrix ever was, to keep you stuck in it, right? The legal profession with its complex legalities and fear-inducing tactics leads to a staggering 98% of individuals unwittingly trading in their birthright. And you, you thought, oh, no one would ever go for that during COVID. But you should have already known. 98% of people who face a little bit of heat, whether it's civil or criminal, capitulate right off the bat. 98%. Of the 2% that don't capitulate, they argue the Constitution. Or they argue something, or they go into sovereign citizen mode, which is the biggest loss that you can ever do, because it's just a, it's a loss, loss. And of that 2%, there is a fraction that understand the kingdom of heaven. And then want to establish it for their families. But this is nothing new. It's just been lost on this generation and the previous three generations. Oh, the sins of the fathers go down for how many generations? You are the fourth generation. Our children are the generation that are supposed to live it from birth free. They're the freeborn. It's been four generations. The little babies in the room, they're the fifth generation. 
That's why this has come. This isn't, oh, I've got some amazing revelation. It's not me. It's time. It's the time for Yahweh's people to change how they live. It's the time for Yahweh's people to change how they live. 98% of individuals trade their birthright, symbolizing their sentient moral being status from the creator for a metaphorical bowl of colorable pottage. Isn't that sad? And we read, we read that, that account in the Bible. Oh, I would never do that. I can't believe Esau, and we did, we've all done it. I can't believe he was so, what an idiot. And we've all done it, right? Right? See? This pottage is a mixture of legal complexities and colorable law designed to make one spiritually faint and instill fear to the point of death. Isn't that what Esau said? Oh, I'm faint to the point of death. No, you weren't. You just had a hard day hunting. Get a, wear a helmet, man, right? Get a grip. But this analogy here I'm trying to paint for you shows that when individuals, when caught in the legal system's web, unwittingly hire a lawyer, resulting in the loss of their birthright. And subsequently, they are metaphorically labeled as Edom or red, representing colorable law, ultimately leading them to a state of vagabondry. Genesis 25, verse 29. And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. The whole system is set up to instill what? Fear. To make you feel what? Faint. They could just sit behind tables, but they don't. It's a layer-tiered system with fine-paneled oak, fine-paneled wood, right? Black robes, all to do what? To instill false evidence appearing real. What you don't realize, that the majority of these individuals, they're just administrators. They are bound. They're not loosed to make decisions. They are actually bound. They're just administrators. It's administrative. That's all. You're there for an administrative proceeding with a remedy right in your hand unless you trade your birthright in for pottage. And then you're done. That's what happened in Mystery Babylon. It's very sophisticated. But once you pull the thread... It unravels real quick and real easy. But you've got to pull the thread. You've got to find the end to pull the thread. Otherwise, you'll get caught up right in it. And you won't see the woods for the trees. You go in there arguing as what they call a pro se litigant, which is another ends legis status. Fictional. Sounds fake, doesn't it? What is that? Where's that in the Bible? 
Esau, who in a state of physical exhaustion and desperation, trades his birthright for a bowl of red pottage that Jacob prepared. The birthright represents his status and inheritance because it's all about legal complexities. Oh, I'll never be able to figure this out. Oh my goodness, this is so complex. I've got to learn all of the statutes. Oh my goodness, look at all these codes. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna to have, to, to have to go to a stupid college and sit there for like three and a half years and learn from a stupid man all of these rules and regulations. And then I'm gonna to have to take the stupid test and then I'm just gonna stay within these little lanes. Or you could study to show yourself approved and not and not be concerned about any of that because that's for the ones that have already sold their birthright for the pottage. They're lost. You can live out here in the kingdom of heaven and stand as a king. Because all of those statutes, codes, and are they for you? Only if you trade your birthright for them. Compelling, isn't it? Do you want this privilege? There's another benefit here. Who wants this privilege? Application. Sign this application. Yeah, yeah. And we all do it, don't we? Just right here. We'll issue you a number. Right here, we'll issue you another number. How many numbers? Open up your wallet. How many numbers do you have? That'll tell you how deep you're in. I'm freaking myself out. <laughs> I gotta look in my wallet here and see what. Oh no, I don't have anything incriminating anymore. <laughs> if I did, it's been confiscated. <laughs> it's gonna be used as evidence against me. <laughs> oh dear, but I know what to do with that. See, that's the wonderful thing. The legal system, particularly when individuals face complex legal issues, is very daunting. And it is by design because it's established to induce false evidence appearing real, leading individuals to seek legal representation, representation. They want you to sell your birthright so much that they'll even offer you one of these individuals for free, right? Well, we'll have to make sure that we get you counsel. Oh, I think I'm on the phone. No, 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 I really think you should get one, right? They want you to have it so bad that they'll give it to you for free. You know it's gotta be bad if they're giving it away for free because is anything in life free? No. Not even the blood of Yahusha. That was not free. It cost him everything. When they try to offer Abraham for something for free, what did he insist on? He's like, no way, clowns. I'm paying for it because you clowns will use it against me. Anything I say or do, you will use it again. I'm paying for it and I want a receipt, right? Same thing, nothing is for free. So when they say, oh, we, 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 we'll get you an attorney for free. 
<laughs> I mean, really, unbelievable. I won't tell you where I was, but I was somewhere a while back. And they were like, just, just sign here. And I, 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 look, I, looked, at, I looked at this uh, man with heavy weaponry on him. And I said, I, I just started laughing. I was like, <laughs> it's like, what? I said, are you for real? He's like, what? I said, do people really sign an electronic pad in here? He's like, yeah. I said, you want me to sign a blank electronic pad? What, what, what contract am I entering into here? Oh, it's nothing. We just, uh, turn the computer screen around. I said, are you going to print that down for me and give me a few minutes to review that? Oh, no, no, no. I said, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. 99.9% .9 sign on the electric pad. I get a hard copy, please. I'd like to see what we're actually engaging in here because you will be held liable. Your signature is the money. It's the most valuable thing that you own. Don't give it up unless you know how to. Unless you know how to. There's certain ways in which you sign things and certain ways in which you don't. And then you've got to do the right one at the right time because otherwise you could end up in a lot of trouble. But we were all taught just to, ooh, ooh. If everybody stopped signing for three days in the United States of America, Mystery Babylon would go down in an hour. Guarantee, if everybody stopped signing for three business days, everybody, the system, that is currency. Your signature is the currency because we live in a debt instrument world and your signature creates the debt. And the debt gets digits assigned to it, money of accounting. But there is no money of substance, is there? When you went and bought your home, did somebody deposit money into your bank account? No. Your signature created it. It's called double bookkeeping entry. They're running a private account and a public account. And you just get shown the public. But as kings of the earth, you'll learn to live in the private. And public and private do not mix. Ever. Which is why we're very limited in what we can say in a public venue like this, right? Not here, but because we're broadcasting. That's why we're going to have breakout sessions afterwards or whatnot. Anyway, I digress because there's so much. My brain is just bubbling forth information.
So we were talking about lawyers operating under British Admiralty rule, the Bar Association, and they're trained in the intricacies of the legal system. But they are restricted, they are bound by it. They're not loosed to what you and I are able to do. They are not loosed, permitted to have the remedy that is available for all kingdom of heaven beings. However, the legal system's complexities and fear-inducing nature inadvertently leads individuals to make decisions that compromise their sentient moral being standing, standing and kingdom of heaven status. So colorable law, the concept of Edom, symbolizes red or colorable law or the funny money, monopoly money. And it relates to the idea that the legal system operates with a facade of legitimacy while concealing deeper complexities. Will you all agree with that? Anyone that's been through it will know. What about vagabondry? Vagabondry. This term symbolizes a state of wandering and instability, reflecting the consequence of losing one's birthright. When you lose your birthright, you become a vagabond. Who was the first vagabond? Cain. He lost his birthright. He became a vagabond. He was in a constant state of instability, wandering, and he had a mark upon him, and he was subject to the rules of men and the kingdom of men. He was no longer under the kingdom of heaven, and he was a vagabond status. 98% of people are a vagabond status because they volunteer for it. Because we all volunteered for it. We were trained from birth certificates. By weaving together these elements, we can see how people navigating the modern legal system unknowingly trade their kingdom of heaven status akin to a birthright for a legal representation that despite its intricacy, intricacies, excuse me, and facade does not truly serve their best interests. Well, this serves your best. No, it doesn't. It's actually the opposite. Let's talk about the Banking Relief Act of 1933. The Banking Relief Act of 1933, part of FDR's New Deal. And guess how many synagogue of Satan's were on his board? 70 in excess, 72. How many does it take? 70. In his government, 72. So it, with the Septuagint, when they penned the Septuagint, 70, 72. Some people say it was 70 rabbis, some say it was 72. That's a Sanhedrin. FDR had a Sanhedrin. 72 pushed through the Banking Relief Act of 1933 that incorporated the War Powers Act language of 1917, making everybody enemy combatants. You're all enemy combatants. You are commercial enemies of the United States because the War Powers language of not, we have been under military law and martial law since March 9th, 1933. How many times in the Messianic move? Oh, we're going to be under martial law. 
You were born under martial law. You were born under martial law. Four generations deep. It's a statutory law merchant. It's Lex Mercatoria. William Blackstone tried to warn us all about this. William Blackstone was born at the time that the Constitution and the Great Americas was formed. But we didn't listen. But we didn't listen. The courts of chancery in England, they showed you how to set up your families, but we didn't listen. Because we'd already gone through this in the United Kingdom. Because we went off to the Crusades and we came back and our land was plundered and gone. We sold to all the land barons right from under us and we went and fought the wars. What do you think they do now? People sign up for the military, then they come back and then they think the VA is going to take care of them. You know how many people have been burnt by the VA? Absolutely burnt. And they serve their country in a war. You can see, I'm not passionate about this whatsoever. In essence, the law merchant's legacy is embedded in the legal frameworks that regulate commerce and trade today, including the UCC, the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, and State Rules of Civil Procedure. This development has been an ongoing process, shaped by the needs of merchants and the evolution of global trade over centuries. Now we can draw some parallels between biblical prophecy, historical actions, and contemporary legal and financial systems. Lex Mercatoria is the legal framework and practices relating to money lending. It's related to liens and contracts. When somebody gets sent to prison, what just happened? Firstly, they volunteered. They didn't get there without signing something, guaranteed. And a lien was placed upon their body until the lien is discharged. That's called indentured servitude, is it not? Who invented that? King Edward I. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. But the Constitution outlawed slavery. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. There's more blacks enslaved in the prison system than there ever was on the plantations because we are in one big plantation. But now we're all part of the same system. It's called getting, getting indexed into the United States Corporation through the Social Security number. And then guess what? You get a lien placed on your property, which is your body, until the lien is discharged. And you volunteer for slavery by your signature. You had a lot of fear put on you to plea out so that you would sign. And then it's not illegal because it was voluntary. See? 14th Amendment, read the language. It's pretty crazy. I know some of you are familiar with that, right? And you kick yourself, right? Especially if you've been inside. You kick yourself. 
because you realize like he's telling me and I'm like, but that's exactly what I did. I pled out, right? Because I was afraid because they were going to send me up for, you know, 30 years. But I got this great screaming deal, according to my bar association attorney, right? And then you were inside and then he was off with your wife in Cancun, you know, and the next thing you know, you know, with all your money, this is what happens. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. I've seen it so many times. I even see it, saw a guy just recently, um, he got sent up, put under irons, just about to get escorted away. The judge calls him back, calls, calls the bailiff back, oh, oh, bring him back. Had to uncuff him because he forgot to give him permission. So they uncuff him, he gives them permission, and off he goes. I mean, I saw right with my own eyes. So I'm like, he's not going anywhere. They can't do that. He hasn't signed anything yet. He's got to give him permission. And lo and behold, a minute later, here he comes back. Unlock him. You need to sign here, sir. Oh, now you can go down for 10 years. Right before your eyes. And I'm, si and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Because you can read it. You can study it, but then when you see it actually happening, that's pretty, pretty, pretty shocking, isn't it? Pretty, pretty shocking. In Ezekiel chapter 28, we see the trading and trafficking of souls. Ezekiel speaks of trading and trafficking in souls, which shows the exploitation of individuals for economic gain and power. This passage symbolizes the darker aspects of commerce and governance, where human lives and well-being are sacrificed for material and political interests. Do you live in a world like that? Human, little children traded and trafficked. Oh, no, they're not. Really? Traded and trafficked for material and political interests. Yahushua warned us. His warning about the synagogue of Satan shows us the presence of religious and ideological groups that operate in opposition to divine principle. This group is seen as a corrupt Turkic Khazar system that came out of Babylon within organized religion wielding influence, power for their own commercial purposes. Matthew 24, 21, it is written, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except that those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So Mystery Babylon then trades and traffics in commercial wealth and decadence, a symbol of our global economic system. I can't believe he said global system, right? I'm out of here. I'm going back to Canada. This system prioritizes profit and materialism over ethical and spiritual values, leading to exploitation from birth. Because birth certificates 
play a role in financial systems. What kind of paper are they written on, anybody? Bond paper. These issuance of birth certificates and the subsequent use of the ens legis or commercial name in legal documents signifies a person's entry into commerce. You have now begun the game of monopoly. Welcome to it. Glad you didn't read the instructions. Here's some funny money. Just make sure you file your 1040 so you can get it, and then we're off to the races. And by the way, if you don't file again, you're going directly to jail. You will not pass go, and you will not be getting out for a long time. Don't argue with the man. Right? This historical event called Monopoly has really been noticed to the people of what game we're playing. Edward I's expulsion of the Jews from England in 1290 was motivated by various factors, including financial debts to Jewish moneylenders. This historical event is an example of the tensions and conflicts that can arise between political authorities and financial institutions because it's all linked as a synagogue of Satan and Vatican beast system. The synagogue of Satan is riding the Vatican. The Vatican is the beast. The synagogue of Satan is the financial currency markets. The monarchy are subservient to the synagogue of Satan because they are in debt since Edward I, and they have already pledged everything, including the Americas, to the Vatican by treaty. Which is where did all the gold go in 1933? It's in Fort Knox. No, it's not in blooming Fort Knox. It's in Vatican City. Why don't we audit Fort Knox then? Maybe we should audit the Federal Reserve. That's not federal. But run by the synagogue of Satan. Right? It's not federal at all. I may as well open a shop and call it Federal Burger. Right? It's just as federal as Federal Burger. Right? Because it's all big one, nothing burger. Right? The Vatican is the beast system of governmental control, representing powerful political institutions. The synagogue of Satan shows that these institutions are corrupted commercial financial institution working under the power of the government control acting against divine principles because they're trafficking in souls. They're looking to capture the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they know that you will be in the millennium ruling and reigning over them as the creditors, because are you the debtors? You have unlimited credit, brethren, unlimited. How, how much in debt are they? 31 trillion and count. Who's the debtors? Excuse me? Public servants? Who's the debtors? Who doesn't create anything? Government. 
The concept of trafficking in souls symbolizes a system or entity, a beast-like entity, that exploits individuals for personal gain or control through economic means, religious manipulation, or political coercion. And most of us, I think I would say all of us are here because we are tired of being religiously manipulated, right, from the pulpit. That's why the messages that I share are, are somewhat unorthodox. And I challenge you to read your own scriptures as we all do, because we're all brothers and sisters trying to get ourselves out of the matrix together as the whole house of Israel, right? A multi-ethnic tribe coming out from Pharaoh's mystery religions, right? So now let me get into the fun, weirdo part of the message, because none of that was fun and none of it was weirdo. Let's talk about who used to be known as Prince Charles, but he's now King Charles. There's a book floating around. It's called The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. Has anybody read it? Is it? No, anybody really? I read it with several cups of tea about 20 years ago. Anyway, the author of the, about that book is a name called Tim Cohen or Cohen. Okay. Now, in that book, he theorizes that the inclusion of a unicorn and a lion, and we touched on this when we were talking about the ships of Tarshish. We were talking about trading and trafficking and commerce in, Ezekiel, in, in Isaiah. I forget what chapter it was, maybe the 25th chapter. You'll have to go into the archives. But we were talking about the ships of Tarshish. We established that Great Britain was Tarshish. These were the tin merchants. The missing years, where Yahushua was from the age of 13 to 30, he was hanging out in Sandwich, Kent, what is now known as Glastonbury. Why do you think they do all that demonic, wicked, cult stuff every single year in Glastonbury? Why do you think they do that? It's just despicable. Because that's where Yahushua's hometown was in Great Britain for those lost years. Of course they're doing something wicked. I'm, I'm serious. Sandwich Kent. That's where they invented the Sam. No, I don't know about that. But no, maybe though. But Yahushua came to Sandwich Kent. Paul preached in Londinium. The Romans called it Londinium. From the steps there above the River Thames, which they now call St. Paul's. So you can look at the connections of the migration of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a tin merchant, and Yahushua's missing years. Glastonbury, Sandwich, Kent. The Bishop of Chichester, back in the 20th century, he did a whole... A whole they kicked him out because of it. He wrote all about this. It's very hard to get his stuff nowadays. There's a few smatterings of it on the internet, but it's very difficult. But this is all down in Glastonbury, Sandwich, Kent, okay? Anyway, I digress. Let's talk a little bit about this cup of tea and the unicorn and the lion in King Charles, what was, what is King Charles, but let's, let's, let's call him Prince Charles because we're going to be looking at his heraldry 
of when he became prince, okay? Because it does have biblical significance when you align it up to the book of Daniel. Let's first look at the unicorn, okay? Cohen suggests that the unicorn symbolizes the merging of different nations or empires, similar to the idea of a one-world government or system. He sees this as a potentially related system to the prophetic vision of Daniel, a diverse beast with 10 horns representing 10 kingdoms, which I think, now this is just my opinion, I can't prove it, I think the whole war in Ukraine is they're trying to fracture Europe and they're trying to bring forth this 10 nation system against Gog and Magog, which is going to be Russia. And that's why you're seeing this right now. And the ships of Kittim are, is Cyprus, which is the biggest U.S. naval base. So it's all right there in the book of Daniel, if you have time to unpack it, which obviously I'm not unpacking that. I'm just giving you a few hints. Now, the lion, the lion in Prince Charles's heraldry is associated with the British monarchy and represents the British royal family's lineage that they claim goes all the way back to King David, which they had kings that sat upon the throne of Jerusalem during the Crusades. And of course, all the gold went to where? The Knights Templar and of course, the Vatican and the Jesuits was a big part of that too. In the context of Cohen's theory, though, the lion is seen as a symbol of power and authority akin to the lion-like beast mentioned in Daniel's vision. Spooky. Now, Cohen, his interpretation of these heraldic symbols is absolutely fascinating. It really is. It's worth, worth your investigation because he does a thorough job. And it's part of a broader theory about the identity of the Antichrist and the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. I read earlier, I think it was Isaiah 25, about the rule of the king would be 70 years, the rule of the monarch. And at the end of the rule of the monarch, associated with the tips of the ships of Tarshish, I went into that. Now, I relayed that till the end of the rule of the monarch, not being a Melech, but with being a Malka. Queen Elizabeth II ruled and reigned from 1953 to 2023. She had a 70-year rule and reign, which now brings us into this last leg, I believe, of the crumbling of the empire because it is a mixture of clay and iron. It's not going to be able to adhere together, and you're going to see the fracturing and crumbling of it right before your eyes in the next two years. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, I'm saying thus saith Nolan, which means it's most probably wrong, but we, I'm putting it out there, okay? Because I'm not doing a thus saith for anything in my opinion, all right? Because, you know, this is all conjecture, right? We see through a glass dimly, and I'm not so silly to go, unless, of course, you know, there was some divine revelation. This is me studying and putting together a jigsaw puzzle of amazing things that I believe are upon the earth.
but you can take it or leave it. You can dip your cookie in my tea anytime or not. But I'm still drinking my tea and eating my cookie of biblical Nolan prophecy. Mad as a hatter, and that's okay. Cohen suggests, though, with the unicorn in Prince Charles' coat of arms, it represents the one world government or global system. There I said global again. He draws parallels between this unicorn symbol and the prophetic vision in the book of Daniel. And you should look and read Daniel 7 and if, see if you see the parallels there. I think it's quite compelling myself. Where there's this vision of a diverse and powerful beast with ten horns. With ten horns which could be the seats of the European Union. I'll read it to you. See what you think. Daniel chapter 7, verse 3. We have got a lot of food in here, okay? In case people are like, oh my goodness, there's a Barack Obama fly. Oh my goodness, it landed on his head. Oh my goodness, that must mean he's Lord of the Flies. Because mm. people do that to me. Oh my goodness, I think he's got a pyramid on his shirt. Oh my goodness, he's wearing a hat. Oh my goodness, he's got a moustache. Does that mean he doesn't believe in the biblical concept of not shaving? Stop it! I think I saw his eyelid. He's got slanted eyes and green eyes. And No. I should do that. Put some, um, um, what do you call it in? Contacts. Wouldn't that be crazy? Just, just one. Just go. Freak you all out. Freak you all out. Thumbs up if you want me to put green reptile contacts in. All right. Daniel chapter 7, verse 3. I'm losing you all. Sorry. I'm losing you all. They're like, it's dinner time. You're going long. The four beasts came up out of the sea, diverse, one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and it made a stand upon the feet as a duck. And the duck, are you paying attention? Okay, all right, just testing, just testing. The children are like, oh my goodness, I want that translation. That's awesome. No, it's not a duck. It's a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. And it was raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth, and of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6. After this I beheld. And lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given unto it. And after this I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. There's the ten horns. I consider the horns, and behold, there was one that come up from them among the other little horns, 
before whom there was three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of King Charles, of a man, and a mouth speaking great pompous things. Now, Cohen does actually theorize that the unicorn could symbolize the merging of nations or empires into a single global entity reminiscent of the beast's ten horns representing the ten kingdoms of Daniel's vision. Then you look at the lion symbolism, and the lion has always been a symbol of Great Britain, and the young lions has always been the other Commonwealth countries, like Canada. Exactly. The lion is a well-known symbol of the British monarchy and it represents the royal family's lineage. Now, in Cohen's interpretation, the lion in Prince Charles's heraldry symbolizes power and authority. He suggests that this lion might be linked to the lion-like beast mentioned in the book of Daniel, particularly the fourth verse of the seventh chapter, of which I just read you where a lion with eagle's wings, and you look at the heraldry, is described as having its wings plucked off, standing like a man and given a human heart. Now, this symbolism is part of Daniel's prophetic vision and its connection to Prince Charles, now King Charles, after the 70-year reign of the Malka, is quite telling. Is it a possible fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Well, it's fascinating to me, especially considering the monarchy's connection to the synagogue of Satan and the Jesuit order. And that's why I've been like teeing this up for several days. But then you get into the crazy, because you knew I would go there. And you get into the Hebrew gematria connecting Prince Charles of Wales to the number 666. Many of you have done that before. But gematria is a system of aligning and assigning numerical values to letters in an alphabet. And in Hebrew, each letter we know has a specific numerical value. And words or names can be analyzed by adding up the values of their letters. But what's really interesting then, in tied with the combination of Prince Charles of Wales to the number 666 in Hebrew gematria, is also on May 15th, 1213, England again conceded to the Pope, making England a vassal of the Pope. And guess how much our annual tribute to the Pope was? 1,000 marks. 666 pounds, which is all part of this papal synagogue Satan, Vatican City, Bank of England, and later Washington DC vertices of the triangle, the three vertices, the all-seeing eye, and the pyramid. Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. It's interesting, I just said May 15th, 12, 13. Can anybody tell me what happened in 1215 in England? 
See, is it, I'm in Oregon. As if I said this in Winchester, everyone would be like, oh, it was a Magna Carta. Right, but you're like, what? Magna what? Magna Carta, 1215. It's like the, you know, it's like the our constitutions where you got the idea from, right? Okay. You got all the good ideas and the bad ideas from us. Magna Carta was issued in 1215. What was Magna Carta? Well, Magna Carta, listen, now this is very telling. Where's Dane? Did he leave? Oh, there he is. Okay. He was asleep. Magna Carta, you'll like this bit. It's the only bit you'll like, but you'll like this bit. Magna Carta was issued in 1215. And this is what it said. A debtor's... Can't even read my own blooming writing. Don't have my glasses. It was going to be a really good one. I was at the, I'm at the edge of my seat. Ah, oh, there we go. Nothing like ladies' glasses to save the day. All right, I got. It's all right. I got one pair of ladies' glasses. I only two. I should have my wife's glasses, is that what you're saying? She's a jealous. I took another woman's glasses. All right, got to trade glasses now. Which woman's glasses do you prefer? Now, now they're gonna say he's he's wearing women's clothing. No, 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 I'm not. He's not Torah at all. Do you not know in Leviticus it says a man should not wear women's clothes? Nolan's wearing women's glasses. Bloody Henry. All debtors' duties shall not be distrained. Their possessions, Magna Carta, all their possessions shall not be distrained upon so long as the debtor himself can discharge his debts. You mean you can't take Jack Diddley squat if I have the ability to discharge my debts? Is that what you're saying? Magna Carta, yes. You can't take it if I have the ability to discharge. Well, that's Magna Carta. Ah. But who took that from Magna Carta and brought that over to Americas? Our good friend William Blackstone. And that was incorporated into your laws, meaning... You can't take it if I have the ability to discharge it because that wipes out the charge. That's Magna Carta. That's America. That's Blackstone. William Blackstone, pretty much they got all the laws for this country from William Blackstone. Read William Blackstone's commentaries. Interesting, William Blackstone was alive right during the very inception and formation of this country's laws. William Blackstone was here from 1723 to 1780. We all wearing our T-shirts with 1776. You don't realize how much William Blackstone and the Magna Carta and the ability to discharge means that your stuff can't be distrained if you have the ability to discharge the debt. Ooh. 
Discharge the debt. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Now, you can't associate that number with him anymore, people would say. You just simply can't because he's no longer Prince Charles of Wales. Right. What is he? He's a king. But 666 was always a king's number, was it not? Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 13. Now the weight of gold that came to King Solomon was in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. 666 was always the number of a king. So you can't use that one. Well, that's Prince Charles of Wales, and now he's the king. Exactly my point. Exactly, my friend. What's really interesting about the end of the Malchus reign, Queen Elizabeth II's 70-year reign, as I mentioned, and it was in Isaiah 22, is that it coincided with, is at the end of Prince Charles's reign as prince, the prince no longer restrained can finally be loose to be the king he was always longed to be. He was bound, was he not? And now he's been loosed. The restrainer's chain has been loosed. And if you look on Prince Charles' heraldry, there is a restrainer's chain that restrains the unicorn. But now it has been loosed. I think Paul spoke to the Thessalonians about that, didn't he? And I think I should end up here because I can see that everyone's hungry and I've been banging on for way too long. But I was quite excited about this because I was starting to make all the connections and then I was sitting down reading a little bit earlier and I kind of tied in a bit of Magna Carta on the fly. Obviously, my chicken scratch notes, which I couldn't read without ladies' glasses. But anyway, isn't this interesting? Yes, Who fancies a cup of tea? Anybody? Anybody? Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. We've got another part to go. I'm not finished yet. It gets even more weird. But anyway, all that to say this. Yahuwah has made you citizens of heaven since birth. That you are a holy nation. That you are a kingdom of priests. Don't be compelled to have the pottage and give up your birthright. If you have given up your birthright for pottage, like I did, then it's not the end of the world because Yahweh is the great redeemer and he has given us a way to be able to redeem and find the remedy. But if we have made mistakes, then we should at least admit that we've made those mistakes and seek to make right the wrongs. But we shouldn't want to make those wrongs upon our children and our children's children. It was necessary for four generations. But the generational curse has been lifted because Yahweh is gathering his children home. And that's the wonderful, wonderful truth. And you can't stop the truth because people want to hear the truth. And I am excited to be able to be here 
and be with you all as we seek to be purveyors of truth. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Yes, yes.